0: Well, welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that takes a deeper look at the news of the day and gives you thoughtful perspective about what's happening in America, at home and abroad. Joining me today is Bing West. We're going to talk to Bing, who's a Marine and an observer of the military scene. He's had lots of tours of duty. We'll talk about an article he wrote outlining the dynamics in Afghanistan. What are we doing? Where are we going? What's our strategy? What should we be doing? Also, my good friend and your good friend, Byron York, Columnist at the Washington Examiner and Fox News contributor will stop by. We'll talk to Byron about all that's going on. It's a golf. I noticed a column by Byron about golf and uh, and Donald Trump, but we'll uh, we'll cover the landscape with Byron. Claude, uh, what's on your mind?
1: Well, it's interesting because we've talked a lot um, recently about schools, but more so uh, and, and rightly so, should I add, about uh, school safety, um, given the um, Parkland school uh, uh, incident, but. When we look at schools and education, what are some of the big issues in uh, American education? They
0: are remain what they were mm-hmm. 25 years ago. They remain what they were when I was secretary of education, which is now 35 years ago. Okay. Believe that. Uh, 12, 30 years ago is when I left. But um, performance, uh, plus there's other problems. Mm-hmm. But performance, we have seen an uptick in math scores um, and I'm using as my base here the, the NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Seeing an uptick in math scores. That's some good news there. Uh, most of the uptick is in the early grades, fourth grade and eighth grade. The longer you go on, less the increase. Less increase from 8 to 11 than from 4 to 8 and from 0 to 4. 0 to 4 is the most. 8 to 11 is the least. Closing gap among minority groups and different ethnic groups caucasians african-americans hispanic americans asian americans that gap is closing people are coming closer to similar scores and that's you know given a number of uh, adjustments and factors you expect some of the scores to go down for example when the increase in hispanic population not because hispanic kids are are not born with the same brain power but because of uh, poverty um circumstances and so on which affect School performance. Mm-hmm. So on that level, it's pretty. It's okay, some progress, but flat in reading or down. So you know, little good news in math, uh, no good news in reading. In fact, even some bad news. I don't know if the internet and uh, you know online stuff has something to do with this. That kids aren't reading books, and their reading abilities are not very good. Um, in terms of other things in the schools, uh, I have other worries which is that we are just um, not clear about what we're doing. Certain philosophies of education dominate the landscape, which shouldn't. Form A kind of formalism now dominates, which says it's not important what you learn. What's important is learning how to learn. It's fine to learn how to learn, but the way you learn how to learn, Claude, is by learning something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you were fascinated with as a kid, but you're a smart guy, and I'll bet there was something. For me, it was reptiles and
1: amphibians. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Brooklyn, I was fascinated Brooklyn. by dinosaurs. Okay, so you, re- so you read <laughs> uh, about them, right? Right, absolutely. And you had books mm-hmm. about them. Yeah. And, well, what relevance is
0: known about dinosaurs in today's world? Well, the reading increased your vocabulary. As you read about dinosaurs, you, you know, learned how to pronounce saber-toothed. It's not Sabra, tooth, like mm-hmm. it's spelled, right? And uh, and other things. I and mean, you probably were able to pronounce some of those ridiculously long dinosaur names, right? <laughs> right.
1: What are they? Well, are like Pterodactyl, right? it, which yeah. isn't even spelled. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. And again, see, if you hadn't
0: been man. reading, you would say p- 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 Pterodactyl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but when you read and then you talk about it. So going in-depth on something, you know, baseball players, uh, reptiles and amphibians, dinosaurs, uh, airplanes, model cars. Mm-hmm. Um, better, you know, literature and math and history. But that's what the school's about. But you got to do that in the school by reading. Um, so the way to learn how to learn is by learning something. This is the key doctrine of E.D. Hirsch, the great um, educator from... Uh, University of Virginia, who did the core knowledge, what every third grader should know, what every eighth grader should know. And um, he points out that vocabulary is a proxy for um, SAT scores. And SAT scores are a proxy for success, not only in college, but in life. So these things matter. Related to that is something that really bothers me. And I would say that's this attempt to eliminate sex differences. My wife, you know, you work with Mrs. Bennett, Mm -hmm. wanted to get permission from a school, get the list of names of the boys and the girls so she could give out the t-shirts and pair them up for, you know, a little Q&A on bullying and had a a date and so on. And she was told at one school, do you know know what happened here? Do you know this story? I do not. She was told, we cannot give you a list because we do not gender stereotype. Oh, wow. We do not gender stereotype means we do not distinguish between people being boys or girls. Wow. What a disaster. We can't tell the difference because we don't believe there's a difference, or have we bought this crazy hook, line, and sinker notion that it's all culture. Mm. That there's no biological or fundamental base to being male and being female. You didn't ask me what's bothering me, but I'll tell what, you what's bothering yeah, me since, I, I mean, since I'm talking important. about. Right. <laughs> there's been a 20, apparently about a, year, a 20% decline in the last 20 years. My numbers may be a little off, but a 20% decline in male testosterone. Mm. what's going on with men and you know i wrote a book with chris beach and others called you know the book of man right talked about the decline of men at work and in other ways it's a very serious problem you know women are starting to dominate in all sorts of fields Well, it's only fair because men did for years well wasn't good when they didn't give women a chance, and now men are taking themselves out of the game. Mm. I am told that at uh, universities, major state universities, when they enroll as freshmen, it's about 52% female now, 48% male. When they graduate, it's about 64% female, 36%. Wow. This is bad for male prospects, but it's also bad for women because women who are achieving want uh, to marry men who are achieving. Sometimes women even want men who are achieving more. There are women who want men who are achieving less and won't get in the way and won't bother them and take care of the babies, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that's a major thing. And, of course, the last thing I mentioned is, you know, it's never far from my brain is this whole opioid thing. Right. It's really getting out of hand. And in the administration, I know the president cares about this. I've heard him on it. I know his, his head and heart is on this, but we got to get the policy. you got to get this stuff off the street. That's the first thing you got to do. People are dying from fentanyl and heroin now. It's not so much the diversion of Oxycontin and Vicodin and all that. Every time we have been successful mm-hmm. in bringing down use of drugs, it's because we've raised the price and lowered the purity and you know made it difficult for the dealers. And, I, th- boy, I thought the president was cool the other day. We pointed to Singapore. I'm not saying we should be Singapore. But when he said he made the very simple, straightforward point, you know, somebody kills somebody and bar with a knife you know they get sentenced to murder but you distribute drugs to hundreds of people dozens of whom then die there's no there's no death penalty there's no life imprisonment
1: you know so what's the balance between treatment and law enforcement uh regarding the opioid or any drug epidemic i mean well you need both you need both and the reason
0: you need treatment is because uh, people need help and because you're a merciful society but you don't need treatment because it's effective, because for the most part, it's not, but okay. it's about ineffective 80% of the time. It's a shocking number. But you could pour all the money into treatment you want, and you're not going to do much better than that. It's best to keep people from ever getting involved in this stuff in the first place. Mm. An analogy I use, a lot of people don't like it, is you know you get beachfront property, live on a beach, and all of a sudden, a bunch of sharks start hanging out, great mm. whites. Mm-hmm. People go swimming, losing limbs. What's the response? Oh, yes. set up, you know, limb dispensaries all along the beach. <laughs> you lose a limb, just come here. We'll give you another limb. Sometimes it doesn't work so well. How about getting rid of the sharks? Right, right. Get rid of the sharks. Anyway, I'm awaiting the strategy. I'm awaiting the strategy. I'm not going to hold it against this new drug arc. because he has no experience. I didn't have much going in, but we put together a good team. and We had some real positive effects. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Let's talk about Afghanistan for a few minutes. And so here's Bing West. And this interview is brought to you courtesy of the American Strategy Group. Go to, what is it, amstrategy.org? Is that it?
1: Yep, amstrategy.org. Or you can go to facebook.com slash amstrategy. Right. And we thank ASG for um, bringing Bing West to us.
0: Uh, I read your essay. You remember it? I know you're prolific. So I hope Of course. Of course. Okay. Options leave, increase, stand pat, cut back. The part that got me, literary uh, scholar that I am, was when you said our policy is Kafkaesque, recalling Franz Kafka, I guess. What yes. do you mean? What's well, Afghanistan? We don't talk about it much. Maybe you ought to start by telling us, we still have troops in Afghanistan. How many? Are we winning or losing? Where are we?
2: We have 13,000 troops in Afghanistan and many aircraft. And our mission on a day-to-day basis is that we are bombing the Taliban. And we are now sending out advisors with radios to call in artillery and air. And basically, we're fighting a war of attrition very, very carefully so that our casualties, American casualties, are very, very low. We're expending, I would estimate, probably, $8 8 to $16 billion a year, and I see no end to this, but I'm not arguing for an end to it either, and that is that Afghanistan, 30 million people comprised of, oh, three or four major tribes hurtling headlong into the ninth century, yeah. and yeah. we're not going to change that, and the Taliban are genuine, wacko, evil terrorists. And therefore, our current policy is we say, we're going to continue bombing and killing you until you negotiate with us. What? what, what what's that all about? I'm going to kill you if you don't negotiate. Well, it, it makes no sense. Why? It, we, not, we bombed the hell don't. out of a
0: lot of other people before and brought them to the
2: table. Well, you have to have a, a goal in bringing them to the table. I mean, no, we didn't really. I mean, in, in World War II, we said, um, we're going to bomb. Until you surrender unconditionally, okay. unconditionally, okay. we're going to set okay. the conditions. And in, in Vietnam, we made the mistake of saying we're going to bomb you until you negotiate no. with us because we quit. We, we yeah. quit. Right. And North Vietnamese won. So if we say we're going to bomb you until you negotiate with us, if you're looking at the Vietnam example, we're saying we're looking for a decent interval and give us a, give us a fig leaf and then we'll leave.
0: How about just dropping the negotiate part? We're just going to keep up exactly because the, the
2: attrition that's
0: right. attrition's going our way, right? We're not losing many and we're getting a fair number of them.
2: Correct, and that's what I would do. I, I basically okay. say um, my policy is I'm going to I'm going to kill every single genuine terrorist. I'm just going to punch six feet under the earth. That's it. I'm not going to talk about anything else. And I'd say to the the Pakistanis, okay, why why do I say that we cannot win is very simple. Afghanistan has a border of 1,500 miles with Pakistan. And Pakistan is supporting the Taliban, and they're not going to change. So the Taliban always have a sanctuary. The Taliban also um, are the Pashtun tribe that about 10 million of them and they live along the border with Pakistan and they receive 500 million to a billion dollars a year in drug money okay. half okay. of all the farmers half of all the farmers in the Pashtun area grow poppy and poppy translates into opium and then for every eight pounds of opium, you have one pound of heroin. Yeah. And a pound of heroin, when you get it to the yeah. street, cost over $100,000. $100, yeah. So those people, Bill, are rich. Yeah. People don't understand that you know they're, they're saying they have to grill the poppy. No, they don't. They no, can grow anything. The, the, right. the, the land is... But it has corrupted the society.
0: Let's go through these three because you said the policies, Kafkas, America simply cannot uproot the three main causes. I'm just reading from your piece. I just want you to elaborate a little more on, the, on what your summary that you just did. First cause is the tribal competition flamed by the Taliban's rabid Islamist religiosity. The flames of caliphate radicalism will not abate until muslim leaders assert themselves
2: what muslim leaders that's my point okay. we haven't seen any right. of them have the courage like ghani who's the president but we haven't seen any of the muslim leaders anywhere in the world come forward and say terrorism is wrong you are not martyrs you're okay. not going to go to hell. Okay. Okay. and we're going to have that continue until the muslims themselves say it's wrong But there's no evidence that's happening.
0: Doesn't attrition work, though? I mean, you started by saying some of these guys are insane, or maybe a lot of them are. But if you start mowing them down, doesn't it incline them a little bit toward uh, stopping, surrendering, or going to the negotiation table, one or the other?
2: No. No. Because the madrasas in Pakistan are turning out more than we can Okay. Okay. There are terrorist schools throughout Afghanistan, and you're talking about hundred million people all together between Pakistan and Afghanistan.
0: All right. I, I just want to round up these points. Point one, you conclude, as our bombing and special forces deployments in Iraq and Syria have demonstrated, we can drive the Islamist terrorists underground. So it's not to the negotiating table. It's not surrender and limit their access to our shores. Well, that's a good thing. So let's keep it up. Yes. OK, I agree with
3: that.
0: then Pakistan, don't we have any leverage over Pakistan? I mean, uh, Pakistan's so much the breeding ground in so many ways. Can't we outmaneuver Pakistan somehow? No no leverage? You say our leverage is
2: meager. Our leverage is meager because Pakistan controls the logistics routes to Afghanistan. you Can not Can okay. we
0: do something about that?
2: It, at a cost, five to ten times more, we could go through Turkmenistan and, and the Stans mm-hmm. to the north in Russia. So we're... we're or, or, and we can't go through Iran. So when you look at where Afghanistan is, there's no way we can get there easily. And the, the Pakistanis can turn off that logistics if they want to hurt themselves as well. And we've been through with them. That's one reason. The other reason is Pakistan has between 60 and 100 nuclear bombs. And our policymakers are afraid if we push the Pakistanis too hard, the country falls apart and the nuclear weapons go to the terrorists. So we 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 paralyze ourselves. We we basically and now we're saying we're not going to give them aid, but that doesn't make that much difference. We're not going to change Pakistan. We're just not.
0: Do you do you agree with those policy recommend policymakers recommendations? Because you got a different kind of president here, you know.
2: Well, it, clearly, this president was the one who who finally said to the Pentagon, et cetera, um, "Look, we're not going to give them any more money." So. We've cut off their aid to a large extent. What's happening with Pakistan is is very simple. The Pakistanis believe in the end, we, the Americans, are going to tire and leave Afghanistan, and they, they, the Pakistanis, are going to control whatever government is in Afghanistan. And we're not going to shake them from that, Um, and that's just how that cookie crumbles.
0: All right, but despite the supply lines and the influence and maybe you know, the risk to, to go in after Pakistan directly. We are trying, I guess you say, and driving them underground, and we are keeping them from our shores, which was object one, right? That, not, that nation, means- not nation building anymore, right? Correct.
2: Okay. It seems to me that our objective should be very simple. We want to keep a friendly government in afghanistan and hang on to the cities and not try to get back all the countryside and just keep killing those sons of guns and that is the future it's it's not bleak it's it's one of those insoluble problems but it's not costing us too much and and they are our genuine enemies
0: Last point, and now this is something I know something about. Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. You'll tell me. Opium. I mean, I do, do know something about it, at least over here. Uh, I know what you're talking about, and, you know, all the deaths now, almost all the deaths are in this opioid thing are not from the diversion of, uh, of you know, prescriptions of Vicodin and Oxycontin. They're from heroin and, and fentanyl. Yes. So,
3: yes.
0: And this is one place where it's coming from. So why don't we destroy the opium fields? Why... Why don't we do that? I could see that as a very Trumpian thing to do.
2: Because the government of Afghanistan would never allow it. Too bad that everyone's getting rich. Every official in southern Afghanistan gets a little payoff, as well as the Taliban. Both sides profit from it.
0: Too bad if we if we if we blew up and destroyed the fields, would they throw us out of Afghanistan?
2: Well, destroying the fields, you're talking. Over 100,000 acres, Uh, that would require an enormous amount of aircraft to spray the fields. They would be shot at. You'd have anti-aircraft fire going on. In other words, it it would require a huge American effort that would would split us from the government. There's no easy way of going after 100,000 acres of poppy.
0: Oh, I know. I know. Done some spraying myself when I had the job. Yes, you have. You
2: certainly Uh, have. Well, but imagine just coming back to what I said. Every other farmer throughout southern Afghanistan is getting rich from poppy. Every other farmer. I mean, it's just an astonishing number we're talking about. Yeah,
0: I know. We had a lot of people getting rich on coca, you know, in Columbia. But it was a different place with a lot of different circumstances. That was a complicated argument, too. And I wanted to take a lot more aggressive action, but I lost in a cabinet meeting. And That's an interesting debate I'll tell you about sometime, But, but not now. All right, let's go. Let's go to the Pentagon. And let's say there's another West family member here not just Owen, but Bing, and you're tasked to advise the president on Afghanistan. When I read your article and conclude it and see, you know, you got implicit or explicit criticisms of policy, we're sort of doing exactly what we should be doing, seems to me, given the realm of the possible. If you could have had the president's ear right now, what else would you tell him to do? He's doing what you're recommending, isn't he? Staying the course?
2: Correct. The only thing i that recommend <laughs> is that we say we... We have zero interest in negotiating with these,
0: okay. with these murderers. Okay.
2: That's what I would say.
0: All right. Yeah, and that's hard for him to say. I don't want to make a deal,
2: you know. <laughs> he likes deals. Exactly.
0: But he can say he can... it and not mean it. That's fine. So what do you think about Kim Jong-un and the president?
2: What do you think? I believe that, that the leopard doesn't change his spots and that this... Is taking an enormous risk that this being our president meeting with this murderous tyrant, the danger is that that tyrant could end up with the spotlight of the world on him and somehow he would soften his image when he's murdered so many people and yeah. he would gain nothing from it. So I'm, boy, I think this is high risk. The idea he's really, for some reason, now going to uh, genuinely uh, change what, he, what the objective of North Korea has been for 50 years, which is to get nuclear weapons, whoa, This is this, I think this is high risk.
0: Too high risk to do?
2: way right now, the president did it. I'm, I'm just indicating. Yeah,
0: if you was in your power to talk to him and him call it off, would you say it's too high risk?
2: I, I wouldn't go there. That would be my instinct.
0: Okay. What about this president and the military? We've relied on you for, you know, the military and the perspective and the support of the military and how presidents fail. How's he doing
2: on the military? Well, manifestly, um, you know, there I have to give him an A. He's raised the pay. He, he they, they do have more money now. He obviously likes the troops and likes the military. Therefore, they like him. Uh, he brought in some people, you, you know, are referring to it as the Marine Triumvirate. Of course, I'm in favor of it. But look, he brings in General Mattis, who, who, who you know, really is a very, very solid and a very conservative, middle-of-the-road, careful guy. He's... You know, he's not Mad Dog at all. He's, he's, he's very, and so he's the Secretary of Defense, but he has a terrific set of ethics and he studies problems. And then he has General Joe Dunford, who was the regimental commander for Mattis as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Yeah. And Dunford, Dunford also is. Very judicious in what he what he does. He thinks it through. And then they bring John Kelly in. And, you know, Kelly was the assistant division commander to Mattis. And they bring John as chief of staff of of the White House. So, (laughs) yeah, therefore, on the military side. I think things are fine as they can be, Bill.
0: You know, I remember these names from you, from our interviews on the radio. These were names long before they were, you know, had these jobs. These were the people you were recommending, so it's kind of like you did have the year. Did you, in fact, have the year of the president?
2: Of course not, but, you know, (laughs) these are the three I would have voted for, and there they all are. (laughs)
0: Well, you you were on my radio show, and he did listen a few times, he told me, so...
2: the other thing that clearly it might be that uh, and, and I like HR McMaster too who's the, you know the national security advisor but i can see the the handwriting on the wall there you know yeah. so it's, it's probably hr is probably going to move what's wrong on. with him certainly, what's wrong with him what would be the sh- what would be the
0: shortcoming or what what is it that trump wouldn't like that uh, keeps the other three in favor but not
2: this guy well, HR tends to maybe lecture a talk more than the other three do. And you know, that may not go down too well with the president, if you see what I mean. You know, cool yeah. things. That's not Madison's style at all. is very, very quiet when, uh, in, in meetings. Dunford is very quiet in meetings. Uh, and Kelly stays way in the background.
0: Is uh, by the way, back to Mattis. Is is he uh, used to his verb? Are we annihilating ISIS?
2: We have a problem now with the Kurds. I don't know how that's going to work out. Right, right. But it is it is certainly the thing that Mattis, what when he did when he walked in Secretary of Defense, he said, "Look, we're not going to play games with them. We're going to annihilate them. You know, you get it. We're annihilating them.
3: Yeah. We're
2: not. Yeah, use those words." <laughs> yeah put them all six feet under the earth and we've done it successfully but now we have a much bigger problem i'm mean, not a bigger problem but a different problem we have turkey beginning to fight against the kurds in iraq trying to decide which side they're going to be on that's now we've moved beyond just isis
0: yeah i understand i understand but um all right you gave me an a we'll leave it at that that's good i'm glad to hear that i'm uh I lost all my all my friends my my never trumper
2: friends I thinned out my Rolodex I got behind this guy yeah i mean it's it's astonishing the extent to which Okay, the man has many faults, but golly, I mean, you can't dismiss everything he does, period. And, and I, I have met many of my friends do that. I mean, I just, I know, it, it's I know. become a, a, almost a religion to be opposed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a respectable opinion. If you want to be a respectable public opinion. It was a great Latin phrase I remember reading in that essay, Odi profanum vulgus, you know, I hate the vulgar crowd. And if the crowd likes it, I don't like it. That shows up am superior, exactly. you know, I hate, yeah. I hate that stuff. Uh, That was Bing West, and that interview was brought to you courtesy of the American Strategy Group. Go to, what is it?
1: amstrategy.org? Is that it? Yep, amstrategy.org, or you can go to facebook.com slash amstrategy. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Let me take a second to talk to you about your health. Brushing your teeth is one of the most important parts of your day and important to your health. Quip knows that. They've combined dentistry and design to make a better electric toothbrush. Quip, that's the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. And guiding pulses alert you when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount of effortless. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going in your gym bag or your carry-on. And because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's Best Inventions of the Year, but Quip did. Find out for yourself why. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash bill right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash bill. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash bill.
1: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Byron York, uh, whom we love and uh, listen to very intently, uh, is, of course, uh, a columnist at the Washington Examiner, and he's a Fox News contributor. And uh, we're going to hear from him about a bunch of things. Holy smokes, Byron. Is the president going to Pyongyang?
4: Uh, he's going somewhere uh, <laughs> to meet uh, Kim Jong-un. I
0: Amazing.
4: Think, well, this, I mean, do, do give it a little possibility of, of falling apart. Sure. But over the terms just not being acceptable. Did you know, <laughs> by the way? that one of Trump's two funniest jokes at the gridiron dinner was about meeting Kim Jong-un face-to-face. I,
0: I didn't. Please tell me. Were you there? Here
4: was the joke, and I'm reading it, the uh, uh, quotation. I won't rule out direct talks with Kim Jong-un. I just won't. As far as the risk of dealing with a madman is concerned, that's his problem, oh, not
0: that's mine. Great. That's great. That's good. That's a good joke. That's very good. And that fulfills the, what, hang a lantern on your own yeah, shortcomings, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. self-deprecation.
4: The other the other best joke, by the way, and I'm not quoting, I'm just saying it from memory, is nobody does self-deprecating humor better than I do. <laughs>
0: See? Oh, man, he giveth and he taketh away.
4: That's,
0: That's like Ben Franklin, remember? He was going to school himself in the virtues, and at the end he said, and humility, I think I'm best of all at humility. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there you go.
0: Always wonderful to talk to It's a
4: 2018 version of that.
0: So, all right, let's assume this happens. This is really quite remarkable. And don't you think it has people scratching their heads a little bit that, gee, Bush couldn't do this. You know, Obama who said he'd talk to anybody. He couldn't. He didn't do this. Yeah. Yep. You know, Clinton. Well,
4: uh, um, first of all, uh, every move has been met with great skepticism, which is perfectly appropriate. I mean, we've been going around and around with North Korea for a very long time, so all this is perfectly appropriate. Now, the question is, has Trump's different approach, um, which is a harder-edged approach with more sanctions, has it actually worked? And um, first of all, I don't think we can actually say with any, any great confidence, but you are seeing it, the, the, the idea broached in discussions about this, well, wow, maybe, maybe this actually worked. Cause, I mean, Trump made it very clear he was looking at plans for a military option against North Korea's um, nuclear program. And uh, remember, uh, for for many years, all the talk has been, this is absolutely unthinkable. It's not an option. There's no way, because of all these artillery tubes pointed at South Korea and just the the assurance of millions of deaths, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's off the table. Well, Trump put it on the table. And I don't know how seriously he put it on the table, but clearly... He he and his administration were thinking through what a military engagement would look like in uh, yeah, North for Korea. Sure. For sure. And in addition to that, he was pushing hard uh, for more sanctions. And there, by the way, the, the idea that we've pushed every button we can with North Korea is just not actually true. I mean, we're not starving them right now. And they would indeed starve if, if full sanctions were put on them. But for humanitarian reasons, obviously we, we don't do that, but there's but still san- more pressure you can put on them.
0: But there is pressure. Um, I mean, people are distributing some of this to more pressure and sanctions.
4: Exactly. So okay, okay, the right. idea of a harder-edged, okay. credible threat combined with harder pressure maybe has yielded some results uh, against the advice and opinion of many of the good and the great in our foreign policy establishment but that's what appears to have happened
0: yeah I uh the morning after it was announced I watched Morning Joe uh, and they um, said oh well this was to keep the stormy Daniels story from front page okay I mean you know <laughs> I'm predictable but doesn't the importance of the story sort of transcend that analysis whether it it, does. Might it makes possibly be true it makes
4: it out it makes it yeah. silly I mean you might really as well argue say. that Trump was stepping on his own tariff news by doing, right. this. is just, right. you know, this is just what happened. And it was not uh, a strategy to get Stormy Daniels off the front page. Every White House deals simultaneously with a lot of different things. And uh, clearly what, you know, I think uh, determined the timing of this North Korean thing was that North Korea made an offer. They appeared to, um, now maybe it's a very cagey offer and they have some, uh, ugly surprise for the Trump administration in the United States in store, but it's when they made this offer So uh, I don't think it was uh, connected to the stormy Daniels matter.
0: Now the person who won't be there people who won't be there. I, I'm thinking just wondering if you ever thought if, if the president will talk to them before he goes, and that's the Chinese You know how far can I go, you know to talk to
4: them, you know uh,
0: Because they're obviously very important for leverage on North Korea
4: yeah, well, I mean, Trump has made a very big deal. I mean, and this is the last couple of days when he was talking about tariffs and he was talking about China and intellectual property and how uh, you know where China's policies are absolutely outrageous, illegal, and abusive. Uh, he's still taking time to say good things about the Chinese president, and um, mm-hmm. so I I would assume that he will talk to them as a as a uh, as a preparation. For doing this right Uh, now you're you know you're seeing commentary from the anti-trump left and right that you know he's completely unprepared he's stumbled into this um and um you know it could be an enormous disaster um my guess is they'll actually prepare for this meeting, and part of that, of course, will be talking to China.
0: Yeah, okay. A lot of topics I want to cover with you. You know you got limited time. Let's stay in foreign policy column. You did a bit, bit back, but worth worth noting, not so far back, Russia. Uh, and I think you know what you took up in the column, as I remember, was who's, who's been tougher on Russia, Trump or Obama? Uh, conventional yeah. wisdom is Obama was tougher on Russia, or Trump's not nearly as tough as he should be.
4: Is a real question because I, the reason I wrote that was I was there. Were, Trump tweeted, and his tweet was, I have been much tougher on Russia than Obama. Just look at the facts total fake news. And CNN called it simply false. The Washington Post said the facts suggest the otherwise, and PolitiFact said that it was mostly false and noted that the president's uh, tweet, quote, immediately drew guffaws among the media, media commentators. So, um, what I did was, I asked a number of people, some lawmakers, people in Congress, you know, what do you think? I mean, do you, is, is Trump correct, not correct? If he is, what's the evidence? So one of them came back very quickly, a text exchange with a list. And the list was bombing Syria, Russians' main client, and generally unleashing the U.S. military in Syria, including against Russians when necessary. This was a couple of days after. Uh, word that U.S. forces had killed at least 100 Russian mercenaries um, in uh, in Syria. Uh, number two, arming Ukraine. Three, browbeating NATO allies to increase defense spending. Number four, adding low-yield nukes to our arsenal. Number five, starting research and development on an INF, noncompliant missile. And number six, shutting down Russia's San Francisco consulate. Now, the interesting thing about all of those almost all of those things, where there are actual efforts to get tougher on Russia militarily uh, than Obama had, because Obama, there was... was non-existent uh, military pressure pushback uh, in Russia. Uh, the, the missile he talked about was uh, arming Ukraine, was arming Ukraine with a, 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 something called a Javelin anti-tank missile, which is called like a, a fire-and-forget. It'll uh, kill a tank, a Russian tank, from a couple of miles away, shoulder-fired. Shoulder um, the Washington Post, by the way, called that decision to arm Ukraine a worthy application of the peace through strength principle. Uh, the low-yield nukes is exactly what it is, developing a new generation of uh, smaller nuclear weapons. The, uh, the New York Times noted that advocates say that's needed to match Russian advances. Uh, The INF non-compliant missile is exactly that. It's a new missile that uh, does not comply with the uh, 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 treaty governing these things and is, quote, a direct response to Russia's deployment in recent years of its own treaty-busting missile, and that's Time magazine there. So the president and the Trump administration are pushing back in a rather strong way against Russian aggression in several areas, Uh, and yet because Congress doesn't, or some Democrats in Congress do not believe they've done enough to fight back against Russian Facebook ads or Facebook posts, then Obama was much, much tougher on Russia than Trump. And I think, you know, in in the real world, when you look at this, you'd have to say that Trump has been fairly tough. And I'll, I'll end with one more lawmaker who said that perhaps journalists just couldn't quite see what was going on. Reporters live on Twitter and seek validation from it. They thus give outsized influence to it over, you know, real ordnance things like missiles and warheads. So, I think you can make a pretty solid case that uh, Trump has been tougher on Russia than Obama.
0: Uh, Do you have any explanation for why uh, I don't mean to sound like the mainstream media, but the rhetoric is odd. He, he doesn't strongly condemn them verbally, does he?
4: Right. No, he doesn't. Um, and people would point out that he has not given um, a, kind of a, a rocket man or a little Marco or Lion Ted nickname to to Putin at all. He hasn't given on the Xi in China either. Um, amazingly enough, some of our, our biggest adversaries, uh, not actually enemies, but adversaries, he hasn't done that with. Um, That's you know, a, a number of commentators, left and right, would say it's because he has an author- authoritarian streak. He would say, "Is I need I need things from these people like help with North Korea, and I'm not going to dump on them. And besides, he he obviously did come into office looking to uh, improve U.S. relations with Russia, which is pretty much the same situation of, of other recent presidents when they came into office. Yeah. Um, and um to to my knowledge he has not lifted any of the sanctions that obama imposed e- either after the the uh, ukraine uh invasion or after um um or in, in late december of 2016 in response to the to the election meddling i don't think right. he's undone those um so you're right rhetorically uh, he has not been tough on Russia. He hasn't talked tough about Russia. But if you look at the actions, they're pretty significant. As a matter of fact, any of those things that I just mentioned about the missiles, about sending anti-tank missiles to Ukraine, if Obama had done that, conservatives would have cheered, said he needed to do more, but they were encouraged by the fact that Obama was finally seeing the light and doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Very good. Very good. Very good. All right, let's uh, let's let's go somewhere else uh, i'll tell you my view on this for a few weeks i had been hearing this stuff about uh, you know a second special counsel yeah uh and i was saying no 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 there are yeah. a few people who can change my mind on this you know where i'm going <laughs> and one of them is trey gowdy by the yeah. way i i said the other night on fox you want to know what's wrong with washington trey gowdy's leaving that's what's wrong with washington <laughs> yeah. i mean he's he's really he's he's dazzlingly good i think and yeah, and, you know, tremendous integrity and so well spoken, but uh, I see the case that he and Bob Goodlat, uh, chairman of what House Judiciary, right? Um, yeah, uh, uh, the case they they make that the it's out of the ken of the Inspector General, who in whom I also have some hope uh, and expectation. Uh, and uh, can the Justice Department really investigate itself?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know, this Justice Department particularly. Um, so, okay, uh, you know, hey, hey, no, say it ain't so, but, oh, Lord, I mean, <laughs> start the clock again, you know, set the clock, the timer to zero, and how long yeah. will this one take, huh? Yeah. So, with regret, I yield to, you know, smarter people and the argument. Yes, right, wrong?
4: Well, I'm not there yet. Um, okay, I have okay. To say. By the way, the the objections to. Who
0: who makes the request?
4: Who makes the request?
0: The Congress?
4: I think it would be. Well, I mean, anybody can request it. Who appoints one would be the Attorney General. Or if the Attorney General is recused, then the Deputy, which is what we saw with Rod uh, Rosenstein uh, appointing Mueller.
0: The request could be made and it could be turned down, correct?
4: A request, you mean by Congress? Yeah. Sure. Oh sure, this yeah, is an executive yeah. branch thing. This is
3: yeah, Okay. It's not no. a Congress
4: thing. So they can they can write letters all day and and, and sessions could say, "Well, we take your concerns very seriously, you oh, know, by the way, we're not going to do it." Um, okay, what are your so, reasons
0: for not being there yet? Do you think Well,
4: Mark because, can cover because this stuff? of what we all know about special counsels, which is that they uh, engage in mission creep almost by definition, um, and they go on way too long. And they end up investigating all sorts of things that weren't in the original investigation. Look at Robert Mueller and the the talk about mm. this meeting in the Seychelles.
0: The Seychelles meeting,
4: yeah, right. I mean, look at that. and it, that's, that, Far afield. You know, because they believe that perhaps the Trump, the incoming Trump administration was trying to set up a back channel to Russia. And I'm thinking, well, even if they were, what's wrong with that? I mean, this is... This is January 2017. It's two months after the election. It was not collusion to influence the election. It was not. But anyway, um, mission creep, I think, uh, besets most special counsels, and and I think it's a a bad idea. On the other hand, you you know, you do have a point. Um, I'm very interested to see, hopefully in early April, what Michael Horowitz, who is the Justice Department Inspector General, comes out with in his report on the Justice Department's handling of the Hillary Clinton email affair. And by the way, I, I don't, I'm sure all of your listeners are well informed, but some of my Twitter followers have, have thought that this Horowitz investigation is going to be on some sort of everything, like Trump, Russia, and all of that. Um, it's not. It's, right. it's an investigation into the FBI and the Department of Justice handling of the Clinton email investigation, which is certainly there's a lot to look at right there. So it's not it a could bit be Lisa Page. Uh, yes, I mean it's the thing is is the the, the two investigations kind of bleed together because okay, they're the right, same yeah. the same people are, are involved.
0: Right. Um, and, and the people you talk to and in, in your own opinion if you you have one uh, share the view that, that I uh, agree with me that Horowitz is a, a pretty reliable independent. Type. Yes, they they um, they have a lot of faith
4: in Horowitz. Um, they do know that the, the Office of Inspector General has limits on it. And so that, that's one of the main reasons. It's not about Harwitz as a person or as a lawyer. It's about the limits yeah, okay. of the yeah. Inspector General's office. And if you listen to Trey Gowdy, what he says is uh, investigating this, and this, by this they mean FISA abuse and the, the use of the Justice Department to investigate political campaigns. Um, he said they would need to talk to a lot of people outside the Justice Department. They're like Christopher Steele, maybe, or uh, Sidney Blumenthal, maybe, or they would talk to people who used to be in the Justice Department, but no longer are, like James Comey or uh, Andrew McCabe. And basically, they're saying, uh, 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 Gowdy and others are saying, the Justice Department Inspector General can talk to people in the Justice Department and do an internal investigation, but there are so many outside people over whom they have no jurisdiction that we need to know, who are players in this, we need to know about it, so therefore it has to be an actual law enforcement investigation. The problem with that, of course, is the Justice Department cannot investigate itself, so right. therefore, with those two factors, we need a special counsel.
0: All right, it sounds to me like you're not overwhelmingly against this, and maybe no really I'm not over- I'm, uh, yeah. look, I,
4: I'm, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, argument. You know I remember I think I, was, I think I was on Fox, I was on special report the the night that we got news that Rosenstein had appointed Mueller. I think it happened after five p.m if I remember, so you had to kind of think it through fairly quickly, and I said something to the effect that this is not a good idea because special counsels have mission creep, and they go on forever. Uh, so what I said yeah. that night about Mueller, I think, has turned out to be true. And, um, and I think I worry that it would happen with another special counsel also.
0: I said something different. Uh, you were right, as rain. I said, well, I said sort of something I could do. I said, I'm not in favor of these things for the reason you cited. I said, yeah. but if you're going to have one, this looks like a very good guy. I've qualified that view some since, because, frankly, because of the people he hired, they all
4: look like well, there's the people he hired. Aimed but then in it's one also, direction. There's also just the, I mean, I don't know the internal characteristics or the characteristics yeah. of yeah. the special counsel job and the office, and yeah. it's like Horowitz in the IG's office. I mean, you're, you're, you can say that you know this is a good person, but they've got some limitations right. um, in, in their office, and so. I do worry about it, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time covering the CIA leak affair, the, uh, yep. uh, the leak affair that ended with uh, Scooter Libby being convicted yeah, of uh, perjury, yeah. Yeah. and I mean, this was a case in which, you know, it was investigating the leak of a CIA officer's identity. This was a case in which the special counsel was appointed and knew who did it on the day he started, and he went three years. In an investigation yeah. and got one scalp, which was Libby's, about who did not leak right. the story that was in the Robert Novak column that everybody got so excited about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, know. these are just not good ideas.
0: By the way, uh, could we short circuit at least some of this and maybe hear from some of those? I guess I'm answering my own question very secret FISA judges.
4: Well, you know, they can come, they can come out and say something. They can. Um, okay. Which would be kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, they're real people, and they operate under certain uh, aspects of the law. But they could decide to uh, come out and say something in the in the public interest, just as James Comey, I forget when it was, March or May of last year, comes out and says, "I've been authorized to tell you that the um, the FBI began a counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign in Russia in July of 2016." And I mean, they can come out and say it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm I'm getting a real big be in my bonnet about transparency, I mean, it's time that we started learning more about things. I did a piece a week or two ago. The, uh, the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee has uh, interviewed most of the players in the, uh, in the Trump Tower meeting, the, the June 9, 2016 Trump Tower meeting, which is really exhibit A for the people who say uh, there, there was collusion going on in the campaign and uh they've interviewed everybody except and this is these are big exceptions but except for uh, Kushner and uh Manafort but they did interview Don, Donald Trump Jr they interviewed the Russians involved they interviewed the translator who was there there's a lot of a lot of information we would learn about this and Charles Grassley wants to release it he said you know, I'd been hoping to interview the rest of them, but Manafort ain't going to happen. And uh, after we just released the transcript of the Glenn Simpson thing a while back, nobody didn't ask anybody. Um, we're probably spooked off anybody else getting, coming in for an interview. So basically, we're done on this Trump Tower meeting, so let's let the public see it. And it's going through all sorts of process now. Democrats have been dragging their feet. But it is time for people to see this stuff. I am, you know, yes, I am absolutely yes. sick of one sketchily sourced story after another telling you part of the the story when we could get more information now without compromising anything. So anyway, I'm, well,
0: that's good I'm getting for the,
4: spun up about that these days. That's
0: a good role for the press, the one you're taking. Last question, uh, Byron. And I'll put you in the position of our friend Howie Kurtz here. I was watching CNN, and it was Stormy Daniels. Yeah. uh, Cover to cover, you know, full coverage on CNN. No coverage on Fox the day I was watching. Um, Okay, you can do the media thing here, but, I mean, it looks like we have almost perfect balkanization on some, yeah. on some issues. But um, I want to get to the merits or potential merits. Is this potentially real, really problematic for the president?
4: Yeah. Uh, well, it could be, um, you know, politically. Uh, I have to doubt it because I do think the voters kind of baked a lot of this into the cake in their decision to vote for him. Um, he did you see Tony statement.
0: Perkins comment? Uh, you were the first person I thought of. Did you see Tony Perkins comment on it?
4: No. What did what, what he say? Oh, you'll
0: love this. And they said, well, how come your group, you know, evangelical Christians aren't all over Trump? He said, well, we're kind of giving him a mulligan on his life. On his life. <laughs> <laughs> or on his early life. Yeah. yeah, I got the other golfer laughing, too, Claude James. Yeah. 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 It's
4: not like a mis- We're not forgiving a mistake. <laughs> we're kind of forgiving the whole life.
0: Yeah, it's what uh, we call uh, that uh, in the Catholic uh, Church. Absolutely, um, yeah.
4: Well, yeah. It, so I think, you know, politically. Now, legally, obviously, if you go back, I, I think the case to go back to would be Clinton and Jones, uh, the Paula Jones case, where the Supreme Court said the, the president could be sued so um yeah, you know that yeah. that th- that's not a good precedent for um for uh for Trump. Right. uh... Right. on the other hand uh if if you remember i I believe a lot of Democrats were urging uh Bill Clinton to just settle that damn lawsuit absolutely,
0: uh, uh, absolutely.
4: you know and uh you may have had family members involved in
0: I had family matter. members involved, and the family member tells me the client didn't want to settle yeah anyway um uh, Byron, thank you so much. Uh, Byron York, Chief Political Correspondent Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor. And uh, I didn't get to your golf column, but uh, we will.
4: You know, I had I had really had a lot of people saying, well, you were very critical of Barack Obama for playing a lot of golf, and now Trump is playing a lot of golf. And he said he wouldn't, and he criticized Obama for it. So what are you going to do? So I did write a, a He did a the
0: numbers, there. and he's on target to to exceed Obama's biggest golf year.
4: Yeah, he's playing a lot of golf. There's no doubt he's playing a lot of golf, and he promised that he wouldn't because he'd be so busy working right. for you, the American right. people. Right. Right. Um, and uh, that's just what it is. It's interesting. I mean, I got a lot of um, reaction, people saying, well, no, he plays business golf. You know, he's doing business right. the whole time, Right. and I think he does do a lot more business golf than Obama did, who really didn't appear to like business golf. He played with a right. a group of old friends most of the time, um, and Trump will play with Lindsey Graham or, or, uh, or Rand Paul or Mick Mulvaney or other you know other people that he's actually doing business with. But um, but this is this I think I called it uh, Trump's most casually broken yeah. promise.
0: Yeah. Um, and I'll ask you guys in sequence, uh, you first, Claude, are, are you faulting the president for playing golf?
1: I never fault anyone for playing golf. And uh, well. Byron? <laughs>
4: That's a good answer. Uh, yeah. But I am, I am faulting him for playing that much golf after what he promised it's and okay. after All what right. he said Fine. about Obama.
1: Right. Well, we're giving g- him a mulligan for his life, correct? A mulligan so. for his life! <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
4: that, is,
3: that,
4: is a, that is a good deal. Keep that in mind if you appear before St. Peter at some time. At I want to be, or, or
0: Tony Perkins. I want to <laughs> be, I think Tony said the earlier part of his life, you know, if it happened now. Because there are distinctions between, you know the uh, extracurricular life of bill
4: clinton than, uh, yes bill but Trump, i've sure. i've changed tony's quote into one that i like better now <laughs> okay
0: all right good okay uh okay go thank you byron thank you bill all right that's washington examiner columnist and fox news contributor byron york and that's just about it for this episode to catch up on previous episodes of the show go to bill dot com you can follow me on twitter at william j bennett and you can like me on facebook Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast with your family and friends.
3: We'll catch up next week.